You are listening to In Daba Down South, a podcast of conscious conversations towards a sustainable, regenerative, and thriving South Africa. I'm your host, Catherine Langsford. There's a false assumption there, which is what we are querying as members of the Beyond GDP movement, that people or governments are assuming that the more money there is, the higher the quality of life. But the empirical evidence doesn't point in that direction. GDP is arguably one of the most well-known and powerful indices in the world. Yet GDP fails to represent the realities of life for many. For this reason, reliance on GDP has been called into question. A movement has emerged which challenges the prevalence of GDP, calling for a shift in focus to well-being and measures that try to capture progress towards it. The movement reminds us that the GDP measure is part of humanity's old story, which is characterized by competitive notions of scarcity, hierarchy, and domination. In this episode, we explore the obsession with GDP and consider how development can be measured in more holistic and accurate ways. Our guest today is Darlington Mushongera. He is a senior researcher at the Gauteng City Region Observatory, or GCRO. Welcome, Darlington. Thank you. Let's begin by having you introduce yourself and describe yourself as you would like to be known. And could you also tell us how you got into the work that you're doing? Now, if you just said um, I'm a senior researcher at the Gauteng City Region Observatory, which is a research institute that is based at WITS, but that institute is a, is a partnership between Houting Provincial Government, the WITS University and UJ, as well as um, organized local government. So I've uh, been very much interested in research and development. And I joined uh, the GCRO in, way back in 2011, and I've been undertaking research in areas of poverty, and inequality as well as governance. I've also uh, done some studies in poverty and uh, land in the agrarian studies when I was at uh, UWC, and I also did a master's in rural urban planning when I was at the University of Zimbabwe. So basically, I'm somebody who is very much interested in development, especially how to lift people out of poverty, what ways can be can government take on to raise people out of poverty, especially the, the marginalized communities? So basically, that's me. That's a wonderful contribution that you're making to both policy and practice. The focus of our discussion today is on GDP or gross domestic product. Let's begin by understanding how GDP came to be the pervasive measure of economic welfare that it is currently. Yeah, so so the GDP measure, you know, it has got its origins in the 1930s, the early 1930s, where the U.S. Congress really wanted um, to understand what was happening in the economy. So they appointed a researcher and expert by the name of Simon Kuznets at the time to actually come up with ways in which they could measure the, the economy. So it has got its origins there. 
But um, around the 1940s, GDP became the main tool of measuring a country's economy. And at the time, uh, they were calling it gross national product. But eventually, it uh, transitioned into GDP, which was measuring actually the production by the country's citizens, both home and abroad. From there, GDP became a very popular measure for measuring countries' economies, as well as uh, comparing the levels of development between countries. So basically, it is that the, its origins from 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 those days, you know, the, the post World War II period. What makes up the GDP measure? How is it calculated? GDP. There are various ways in which one can measure GDP. One would look at uh, production, which is called the output or value-added approach, where you are measuring what the country is producing and the value of what the country is producing in terms of the actual output. But one can also use the income approach. In other words, how much do we earn from that production? You could use that as a measure for measuring GDP as well. Or one could opt for the expenditure approach. So expenditure approach is to do with what people, business are spending. If you can be able to get a quantitative measure of that, it can also be a way of measuring GDP. In terms of popularity, economies are more inclined to using the output approach, the production approach. So there are various ways. The most popular one would be to look at how much the country is producing. When we're saying how much the country is producing, we're saying how much production is coming out of the industries, how much production is coming out from the labor. And that includes nationals. We are looking specifically at nationals. In other words, if you look at South Africa, you have both South Africans that are within South Africa, and we also have South Africans that are outside South Africa. So the GDP measure takes into account production by both nationals that are local and nationals that are working in the in the diaspora, so to speak. Yeah. So so there's no one specific measure, but it's a question of choice in terms of depending on what data is easy to get at the time. And what is considered production? Which industries or sectors are part of that measurement? So it's everything, you know. Let's say you go into a supermarket, you're going to see various products. If you go into a clothing shop, you will see various products that are sold there. So the production really refers to production of physical goods. And then apart from physical goods, you also have the production of services, you know, people offering services that are paid for. So everything that is produced by industry, whether it's the primary industry, whether it's a secondary industry, or whether it's a tertiary industry, everything that comes out from there can be measured and be counted as part of production. 
you have written about the need to move beyond GDP in measuring development. What makes GDP a flawed measure of economic welfare? And why do you believe that we should move away from using it? The reason why GDP emerged was that the U.S. Congress wanted to know what was happening in the economy. So it was specifically designed to measure economic activity. But then we know that in society, you don't really focus on the economy alone. There are other social aspects, other environmental aspects, political aspects, many other aspects that contribute. Because basically what we are talking about here is that if a country is strong, is a strong economy, that is implications on the welfare of the people in that, in that country. But then when we look at the GDP measure, it has come to play a, such a defining role in public debates about economic performance and social progress. And governments are emphasizing GDP throughout the world is, and is widely accepted. And there's a false assumption there, which is what we are querying as members of the Beyond GDP movement, that people or governments are assuming that the more money there is, the higher the quality of life. But empirical evidence doesn't point in that direction. It is showing that even though countries might have higher GDP figures, it does not mean that uh, their people's well-being is high or their happiness is high, no. So the argument that we are proposing is that we are not disputing or we are saying, let's do away with the GDP measure. The GDP measure is a very, very important measure for measuring the country's economy, but it ignores a number of other aspects that contribute to welfare or people's welfare. And as a result, our point is we need to supplement the GDP measure with other measures that will look at other aspects that are not captured by the GDP measure. Because really we are looking at production, but then that's not the only aspect that constitutes a socioeconomy. There are many other aspects. For example, if you ask uh, the Marxists, they will tell you that the more a country goes into manufacturing, there's likely to be pollution in that country. And if it's not controlled, or if you focus more on, on just producing and not looking at the after effects of production, you are going to find yourself having things like pollution, water pollution, air pollution, that really is going to affect people's lives. You can also have a situation in which if you have more industries or you, you might have exploitation of labor where people are paid uh, very low salaries because these uh, industry owners want to make profit out of that production. So GDP, the long and short of it is that it, is, it falls short of um, giving a holistic picture of the economy and what it looks like. And it needs to be supplemented by other measures so that you get a full picture of the state of the country in terms of economic production and people's well-being.
What are viable alternate indices, tools, or models for measuring sustainable development? There are various other measures that we can use, not to replace GDP, but to complement GDP. And those other measures allow us to include things like income inequality, in income distribution, social well-being, poverty rates, literacy rates, life expectancy, decent work, human and uh, uh, public wealth, as well as environmental sustainability. And even stretching across to civic issues such as democracy, you know, and um, living conditions, all that is to be taken into account. And the, the GDP measure is just an objective measure of saying, in terms of land value, this is how much the country has produced in 2022 or in 2021. There is no measurement of these other aspects. So there are certain measures that have been uh, that have emerged over the last few decades, such as the Human Development Index, uh, which has got um, aspects of literacy and aspects of levels of education. Uh, years of schooling and things like that. Then there's also the happiness index, an index measuring how people feel. Are they happy or not? There's also the one that we use a lot here at the Gisera Wall, the quality of life index. So the quality of life index is really looking at the reality of people's living conditions as an output of the economy in general. So what are the people's living conditions, like housing conditions, their access to services, things like uh, do they own uh, these assets, like a TV, a car, or something like that, which is with implication on the quality of life of those people. So the quality of life measure, I think of all the measures, is one of the most popular index that one that a country can use. There's also the genuine progress index, but these are all efforts by other people to say, how can we capture other aspects of life? These other measures, like for example, I would really recommend the quality of life index because it, it asks a number of questions, numerous questions about how people feel about themselves, about life and uh, how they experience the economy, how they experience government. So this all emerged as a result of the limitations that we have mentioned, that GDP, it doesn't really capture those things. So there are the other aspects of well-being that are important have to be captured in other ways. And uh, these other measures that I've mentioned could be used to, 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 to supplement or to complement the GDP measure. And what are the barriers that exist to the adoption of these alternate indices? One of the issues that we as Beyond GDP movement uh, members have noted, uh, I remember we had a meeting way back in, I think it was 2015 at uh, the University of Pretoria, we had members that were coming from statistical organizations of uh, countries that were represented there. So I think I remember 
somebody from Zambia, there was somebody from Ghana, and I think there was somebody from the Sutra. The issue is about data. So if you want to measure economic progress, if you want to measure social progress, there must be relevant data available to be able to measure those aspects of the social economy. And for most of African countries, there's just no capacity to collect the data. So when I say capacity, I mean human resource capacity and even the financial resources and even the the expertise to do that. So all countries do have a statistical department, but that those departments in the various countries, as we noted from the, from, from our meeting, it was uh, that they were complaining that they don't have money to undertake uh, surveys, like on an annual basis. So if you look at um, statistics South Africa, here in South Africa, it is quite well resourced to the extent that they are able to to undertake a general household survey every year. But the same thing doesn't happen in Zambia. The same thing doesn't happen in in, in Ghana, for example. For as much as countries want to measure their economy or their socioeconomy, they have but limitations in terms of data. Because without data, there's no way you can be able to measure what's happening in the economy. So the greatest barrier is the resources to collect data. Because if you look at the, the GDP itself, for you to be able to capture every aspect of the economy, it really is a pain to be able to generate that data or to, to set up infrastructure to be able to collect that data. So you might find that most of the transactions that happen in the economy, they don't really go through the market and they, as a result, they are not captured to become part of the of the GDP measure to the extent that the final GDP that is announced by government will be an underestimate because there's so much activity that's happening that doesn't get captured in the measurement. So I think the greatest barrier is data. And that's what we, why I also note in my, in my paper as well that collecting data is a challenge for many countries. For example, we do a census every 10 years uh, and then in other countries, they might do it after 20 years. Or in other countries, if it's a general household survey, they do it maybe after five years, when it's supposed to be something that they have to do on an annual basis because they cannot afford. So many countries are limited in terms of data collection. So that's one of the big, big challenge. And what I take from what you're saying is that we shouldn't fall into the trap that we did before of using a single measure like GDP or, you know, replacing GDP with one other single measure. I think what I'm hearing you say is that we need a a set of measures rather than a single measure to represent uh, development Mm. more accurately. You can have a single measure, but the proposal will be to say that single measure must stem from various other measures if you want to say so. So GDP will come in. So if you look at the barometer that I produced, uh, which is part of the, the paper that you, you read, is trying to bring all those other aspects into a single framework, which is one of the things that uh, was proposed by this Indian economist, Amatya Sain. He has got this famous quote 
where he said human lives are battered and diminished in all kinds of different ways. And the first task seen in this perspective is to acknowledge that deprivations of different kinds have to be accommodated within a general overarching framework. So a framework in sense thinking is proposing uh, various uh, uh, aspects of well-being being put in a single framework so that in the end you can come up with a single measure, but that single measure encompasses various other aspects. So he has got his approach, which is known as the capability approach. There's still some debate on, uh, on that approach because it hasn't gained enough traction to challenge the GDP measure. But it's getting more and more popular in other circles. Because the capability approach looks at people's, how people are related to the economy, whereas the GDP is just looking at the economy in isolation without taking into account how people are related to the, to the economy. We tend to think of the market economy as a dominant large-scale system of value exchange, which globally is rooted in capitalism. And because of the dominance of the system, we feel bound to mainstream narratives of how the world works and how we are as people. Using GDP as a gold standard measure of welfare underscores this practice because it reinforces these mainstream narratives that making money and spending money is what our lives are about. And therefore that the state of the economy, uh, which is determined through this single measure, is what we should all be concerned about. Yet many of the activities that we prioritize and are most meaningful to us as humans, like looking after our families or spending time in nature, for example, they don't require money, or rather that money is a means to an end. And of course, other forms of economy exist as well, such as the gift economy or sharing economies, and they also don't involve money. So is it in government and large corporations and economists' best interests to continue focusing on the economy and, by extension, GDP as a priority? Why would they want to retain GDP rather than moving to other measures? That's a very important question. But my, my answer to that question is that the economy, I think it constitutes part, the greatest part of any society, you know, production of goods and, and services, it constitutes a very, very significant proportion of a country's economy to the extent that we are not able to ignore the GDP even in the foreseeable future or unforeseeable future. The GDP will remain as a, a measure of how the economy is doing. The assumption that uh, higher GDP uh, means better quality of life. To some extent, it holds because we know that people, when the economy is, is, is functioning properly, people get employed, they earn money, they're able to send children to school, they can do other things. So the economy really is very, very important. But in terms of the measure, it's like GDP... Is, it is emerged as, as a gold standard for measuring economic performance in much the same way as the English language has become the dominant uh, language in the world or the US dollar has become 
the dominant currents in the world, they are not easy to replace because they've become the norm. There is no way you can have a transaction for, for babysitting, for example, spending time with families. You, you, you run into the problem of what the measure should look like. And uh, if you are going to compare it with other countries, it means other countries must measure uh, those aspects in a similar way. So basically what, is, what we are having here is that the fact that uh, uh, GDP has become the dominant measure, it is being used as a way of comparing economic performance across countries. It is the easiest way to measure the differences in economic performance between countries. We at uh, the Houteng City Region Observatory, that's one of our greatest strengths, even though we are focusing only on Houteng, we should be, we, we are able to speak more confidently about how people's lives are in Ekuruleni, in Johannesburg, in Shwane, in the other municipalities in the West Rand and the Sedibane. So it has to do with capacity. So if, if, there's a, if there's a national observatory that could do that and collect that data, but I tell you, it's a very expensive exercise that will, will eat up a lot of resources. And that will be the main challenge. But otherwise, the GDP measure is a good measure, in my view, to be able to capture the economy, because the economy is the most important um, component of any country. I'm not sure everyone would agree with you about the economy being the most important. We often assume that South Africa fares poorly globally in terms of GDP, but as you were saying earlier, according and according to the World Bank, in 2020, South Africa ranked 39th in the world out of 206 countries, ahead of countries such as Finland, Peru and Qatar. Yet South African society is characterized by overwhelming inequality and significant development challenges, which you've already highlighted. And in 2021, South Africa famously rebased its GDP, changing the weight of particular sectors in the measurement of GDP, which increased the value of GDP even more. So mm-hmm. how does all of this play into development and measuring development? And what would be the consequences for policy if South Africa moved away from GDP as the primary measure of welfare? What I can say in that front is that moving away from GDP of course, like, for example, the rebasing that you're talking about is that you may be putting yourself at risk in that you are overestimating the strength of your economy compared to other economies, right? Because if you look at countries, countries, they compete over exports. So this country wants to export, to export its, its goods to this other country, and this one wants to export goods to that other country. And they, they want to make sure that they are, the value of their goods, they are exportable and they are able to earn enough revenue from that. So in the South African case, I don't see the value of moving away from the GDP measure because the GDP measure is basically an international standard for measuring the economy. And it has got uh, implications on the currency. Of, of a country, because when you look at the, the differences between the export and the import, that will, will, will determine your inflationary gap there. 
and it has implications on the value of the rand, for example. So choosing to do um, to measure the economy in a, in a in a different way would really be like cutting yourself out of the the world economy. And I don't see the value of doing that or the possibility of that happening for any country to dissociate itself from the rest of the economy because they are using that standard as the as the measure for, for all economies. The earlier aspect you, you, you mentioned is that South African GDP is quite high compared to other countries, but the reality of for uh, uh, economic welfare, well-being in the country doesn't correspond to the huge values of the GDP that are announced. And then the question is, what is happening? And it only speaks to income inequality and the perpetuation of income inequality where the, the economy is divided into the poor and the non-poor, or the haves and the have-nots. So that gets perpetuated. But the fact that South Africa has got a high level of GDP. There is hope that if proper measures are put in place to ensure that that income or that the country is generating is distributed equitably across the entire population. So this is where you start seeing things like uh, grants being uh, allocated to poor people and all that. That is another way of redistributing income. And I think South Africa can do much better on that front than any other country because of the strength of its economy. It should be able to cater for it through transfers. So if we retain GDP, but as you were saying earlier, we, we don't have the financial capacity or resources to extend the measures beyond GDP in South Africa to get a more accurate picture of development. What's the way forward? Are we stuck? We are not stuck. Those other measures that I've mentioned, the happiness index, the genuine corpus index, the HDI, all can be used to, to measure development. I think Statistics AE has, has got data that speaks to the human development index, for example. Various institutions, let's say provinces or municipalities, can do that on a local scale rather than doing it on a national scale. It can be done on a local scale like what we, we as the Gisarabo are doing for Hauteng, that we can be able to generate a quality of life in for Hauteng province. So if Western Cape can do the same, the Popo does the same, and Pumalanga and Free State and all the other provinces could do the same. It's possible that we can be able to get to the bottom of exactly where we are in terms of well-being for, for, for South Africans. So we are not really stuck in terms of uh, sticking to the GDP, but the possibilities of using other measures is there, and it's only a matter of committing resources to be able to collect data that is relevant to assessing those aspects of life that we think are important to be able to measure people's welfare. So we, we are not really stuck. And that's what the Beyond GDP movement is all about, is saying, okay, let's think in other terms so that we don't really ignore, because if we use GDP, you will find that the policies that uh, emerge from use of GDP will always have an economic <coughs> bearing to it. 
whereas we are really looking, we were saying uh, society is not just the economy, but the other aspects that need to be taken into account. So there's a whole lot of uh, sectoral measures that can be used to welfare and development in general. So would you then say that political will is what's needed? And is that at the provincial level or is this something that government at a national level should be driving? In South Africa, there is the, the department of, I think it's in the presidency office, president's office, which is the monitoring and evaluation department. One of the things that they have been doing there, and I hope they're still doing it because I haven't followed them for quite a while, is to be able to develop a template of these other aspects of development and then distribute it to municipalities, provincial governments, so that they can collect data and report on those aspects. What that means then is that these other lower level institutions at provincial level and local government level can then commit resources to be able to to collect data that speaks to those aspects that are in the template that comes from the Department of Monitoring and Evaluation. And as a result, they are able to report on things like poverty rates, literacy rates, years of schooling and other aspects. And then at national level, then there could be a, a team that would then collect that data and analyze it and then generate some kind of measures of development that would complement the GDP, because the GDP is always readily available anytime. But these other ones are not, and some effort is to be put in order for us to be able to generate that data. Uh, and uh, in my view, the only way to do it is to, to localize it and allow municipalities to do it at a local scale, then feed into the national department, you then call it and generate some kind of an overall analysis and give a picture of how things tend. It's very positive to hear that something is happening in that area and there is some work going on to generate this extra data that does give a more accurate picture. Like I said, the, the, the Houghton City Region Observatory is really a model for, for provincial governments to follow. I remember the Limpopo provincial government, I think in Malanga, they contacted the DCRO with the intention of wanting to find out how they can set up something like that. It also helps in terms of planning at local levels. Because if you look at national data, it is at a national level. And it's not disaggregated to local level. And as a result, planning is so difficult for institutions like local municipalities. And some of the data that they need is locked up in certain institutions that don't really share data easily. So for example, SARS doesn't share data very easily. And yet they've got lots of data that is useful for, for planning at that level. So if it can be decentralized to that level or, or municipalities come on board in terms of collecting that data, it will be very useful to actually know what's happening at localized level rather than, and that's one of the, the issues that we discuss in one of our other papers where we're looking at multidimensional poverty, which is another measure for poverty which, was, which is moving away from a single measure to actually combining various aspects of, uh, of life to come up with a poverty index. So there's really scope 
for doing that. And in, 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 in I really recommend the municipal government to come on board in terms of data collection in their own spaces. Let's move away from focusing on South Africa for a while. Um, can you tell us how do countries go about transitioning to measures of development other than GDP? What, what path do they follow? I'm thinking of, for example, the Kingdom of Bhutan or uh, also New Zealand that famously shifted in 2019 to the Happiness Index. Are there legal frameworks or institutional reforms that have to occur? The example that you've given of New Zealand, New Zealand is very, I think it's on the forefront of measuring welfare and well-being than any other country. How they got to that stage, I don't know, but they're very good at indicators and they have got very various frameworks that they use and in fact, when I was doing the barometer, I actually borrowed some ideas from New Zealand on how they were analyzing their data. So I think it's, it's, sometimes it has to do with the level of development of a country. Some have become so advanced that they have got the leisure to look at things like happiness and move away from GDP, for example, is, is something that they popularize. But I don't think there's a legal framework there. It's just a choice by a country to say we want to, we want to measure our welfare using the happiness index. The more happy people are, it means that the better our society is, something like that. But there's no legal framework to follow in changing from one measure to the other. And I don't think it's about changing from one measure to the other, but it's about bringing in other measures so that we can be able to understand our society, our economy much better. I'd like to turn to countries in Africa now. Do you see an intersection between GDP as a measure of economic welfare? And I'm thinking of the structural adjustment programs in Africa of the 1990s. The countries in the global north, many of them were colonizing powers or imperialist powers, and they implemented these programs. But they're also the countries that use GDP as the primary measure of economic welfare and they determine rankings or success based on this measure. So is the concern within African countries, or do you see a concern within African countries to raise the GDP status? And that process is simply reinforcing the unequal power relations of the past. Yeah, that's a difficult question, but I think you kind of answered it. The division between the North and the South is still very pronounced at this stage, and I don't see it changing in the foreseeable future. But the North always dominates the South, and most of the, the policies and most of the issues that we deal with or the methods that we use are really imported from, from the North. It's very difficult to move away from that, especially for countries like in Africa, who are really dependent on exporting, especially primary goods, to these other countries. So, and primary products are of less value than manufactured products. So it's really very difficult for them to dissociate themselves from the North. The dominance of the North is going to be there for quite a while. That's what I can only say for countries in, in Africa, because they're still really dependent on those countries to be able to sell their goods and sell their products. So they have to dance to their tune in one way or the other. 
So comparisons are not always productive. It's better um, to look at the local context and work with the local context. Yeah. yeah, so most of the time, so for example, if you look at the culture of society, it's not the same across countries. So if something gets introduced, some, some societies receive it or embrace it, whereas others don't embrace it, even if it's good. So those are factors that are very difficult to, to, to predict in advance that this is going to happen. We've spent quite a long time thinking at a very large scale level, but I'd like to bring it back to individuals now. So what can we as individuals do to contribute to the debate around GDP? What can we do to support a transition away from it or to support the introduction of additional indices that will measure our development context better or more holistically than GDP on its own? In my view, uh, the only solution is to just build capacity in data collection. Any other measure that you want, you still have to measure, you still have to collect data. And capacity to collect data is important if you are going to be doing other measures. I used to be a member of, of a group of officials, which also included the city officials. It has to do with data collection because we were saying uh, municipalities don't have access to data, and that data is locked up in various departments of government, in various institutions, parastatals, and all that. And accessing that data is so difficult, and yet that data is so crucial to, uh, for planning purposes at the local level. So you find that uh, the, even if the capacity exists, you, you still need to unlock certain institutions that uh, house certain data that is important for, for measuring uh, development. Darlington, thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights today and, and your knowledge and for really shedding light on how to go about creating a more holistic measure of development in South Africa mm. and in Africa more widely. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure. How can people learn more about or follow the Beyond GDP movement? There is a professor at um, GUP who wrote a book on the problems of the GDP. And there's another professor also in, uh, in Norway who is also very, very critical about GDP. He's written much. And then there's Robert Costanza in Australia. Is also the key person who is leading the, the Beyond GDP movement. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? What I can only say is that GDP is not a hopeless measure of the economy, but it is an important measure of the economy, despite its being um, abused as indicating the levels of development. But it forms a basis upon which governments can then see what is wrong. Let's say you measure the GDP using the income approach. You are going to know how much has been produced in a country and which sectors are contributing more. It can be able to determine which sectors are suffering or are declining. And that has implications on employment in those sectors which sectors are emerging, what is it that they're producing that is causing them to become 
a more active. So the GDP measure really gives you that fine detail of what is actually happening in the various sectors. So for example, the housing data would show that the primary industries is declining with mining uh, having been the major one, but it's coming down and the tertiary sector is, is rising. And then the question is what really happens to, to labor in that respect? So the GDP allows you then to say, okay, these are the key industries that are now emerging. We, are, we seem to be moving from primary industries to tertiary industries. What does it mean for the education sector? Should we still be producing people who work in the primary industry when we know that the primary industry is declining? It has to do with you know job uh, matching and issues of unemployment have to be resolved. And this is the only way to do that is to be able to uh, use the GDP because those are the other key aspects of GDP that allow us to know what's happening in the economy. Where, 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 where are the jobs and what is happening to the other industries and what are the implications, especially if a country needs to export, what is happening to the export sector? And, uh, you know, you can even project that within the next five years, this is what is going to happen to the economy. And then you can be able to prepare for that. So the GDP is, is, is not a hopeless measure. It is, it is a very, very important measure. You've been listening to Indaba Down South. For more information and links to the resources mentioned in this episode, visit our website, indabadownsouth.org.za or follow us on Instagram and Twitter for updates at Indaba Down South. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Thanks for joining us today. Here's to a sustainable, regenerative, and thriving South Africa.